Uh, the title of my message this morning is very simply put, Restoration. I don't have one of those big, long, fancy titles like Pastor has. Amen. Just restoration. Amen. Praise God. Just rest. How many of you know that we serve a God of restoration? Amen. Amen. Joel chapter 2, and I want to concentrate on the very first sentence of verse 25. It says, I will restore. Look at your neighbor and say restore. restore. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Now, we're talking about restoration and that we serve a God of restoration. So we need to understand what the word restore means in order to understand what's going on here. We need to understand what the word restore means. And the word restore, I found, has actually found out that it has a real powerful meaning. If, you have a, uh, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down because this is powerful. Listen to me. The word restore literally means to return something lost or stolen to its original condition. Oh, y'all must have been busy writing that down because I didn't get one single amen. Amen. This is powerful stuff. To restore means to return something lost or stolen to its original condition. Amen. There you go. To return something lost or stolen to its original condition. Now, with that being said and that being understood, how many can use some restoration in your life? Amen. How many can use God to come in and restore some things in your life? Amen. How many can use God to come in and restore your finances right about now? Come on, somebody. How many can use God to come in and restore some broken relationships? Amen. How many can use God to come in and restore your family? How many can use God to come in, amen, and restore your body, bring restoration? Oh, come on, somebody. How many can use God to come in and restore a relationship with your children or children with your parents? Come on, I'm talking to somebody this morning. How many can use God to come in and restore your marriage? Oh, come on, somebody. We serve a God of restoration. Amen. Amen. We serve a God of restoration. The Bible says that only God can bring restoration. Only God can restore the years. Are you following me? Now, as I started studying this out, I realized something. Every scripture I read or every story in the Bible that I read that were talked about God restoring some things or bringing restoration into people's lives. And they all had one other thing in common. Not just restoration, but it had one other thing in common. And that other thing was restitution. Whenever there's restoration, there's always going to be restitution. If you remember anything, remember this. If there's ever going to be restoration in your life, you can expect that there's going to be restitution in your life. You know what restitution means? Watch this. This will blow you away. Restitution literally means a payment made. See, I I could stop right there and I'd be happy. That definition right there makes me happy. I don't know about you, but I like to get paid. Amen. Like like the young people say, I like to get mines. Amen. I want I want mines. Amen. I like to get paid. But it didn't stop there. It says restitution is a payment made. Watch this. A payment made to make amends for something lost, stolen or for any suffering that occurred. Oh, I can't get no help in here. Come on. It says a payment made to make amends for something lost, stolen or for any, any, any suffering that occurred. You know what that means? That means when God brings restoration, when he restores something back into your life, he's always going to make it better. He's going to bring payment. He's going to bring restitution. Story after story in the Bible, wherever there's restoration, there's always restitution. When God restores something into your life, he's not going to restore it. He's not bringing it back into your life the way it was. He's always going to make it better. He's going to bring payment. He's going to bring restitution. Are you following me on this? Remember, with restoration comes what? Restitution. restitution story after story in the bible we'll start off with with job the story of job we all know that story i don't need to repreach it amen job was a very wealthy man he was a man who loved god and he praised god and he worshiped god he had land he had cattle he had servants he had a beautiful family he had it all job was a man after god's heart but the bible also says that job had an enemy that was jealous of his relationship with god 
How many of you realize that you and I have an enemy who's jealous of our relationship with God? I said, you and I have an enemy who's jealous of our relationship with God. Why? Because he's the total opposite of God. See, where God wants to see you blessed, the enemy wants to see you cursed. Where God wants to see you prosper, the enemy wants to see you fail. Where God wants to see you healed in your body, the enemy wants to see you sick and diseased. Why? Because the Bible says he comes not but to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. Pastor said this a couple months ago. He said the enemy doesn't have to literally kill you physically to destroy you. The enemy doesn't have to kill you physically to destroy you. If he can destroy your faith in God, if he can destroy your trust in God, if he can destroy your hope in God, then he's done his job. So Satan goes to God and says, God, now I'm ad-libbing this, so give me, just bear with me. But we all know the story of Job, right? So Satan goes before God and he says, God, I see your servant Job. I, I, I see him, you know, he's always praising you and he's always worshiping you. I see that. But the only reason he does that, the only reason he praises you and worships you all the time is because you've given him everything. Look at him. You've got him spoiled. He said, I bet if you took everything away from him, I bet he'd stop praising you. He said, I bet if you took everything away from you from him, I bet he'd stop worshiping you. In fact, I bet if you took everything away from him, he would curse you. So what does God do? God knows Job's heart. He knew he knew Job. He said, OK, if that's what you believe, then go ahead. Do whatever you want to my servant Job, but you can't take his life. In other words, you can't kill my servant Job. You can't kill my servant Job. So what does the enemy do? Satan goes out and starts destroying everything that, that Job loved, everything that Job cared about, everything that was valuable to Job. He destroyed. He destroyed everything. He took his land, his cattle. Amen. He destroyed his family. He even brought sickness and disease into Job's life. So what does your Bible say that Job did when all hell broke loose in his life? The Bible says that Job got mad and angry with God. Is that what it says? No. That's not what it says. It, it says that Job got, got suicidal and depressed with God. No, it doesn't say that either. My Bible says that Job said, God giveth and God taketh away. I'm going to praise God anyhow. He said, I'm going to praise God anyhow. Even though all hell's breaking loose in my life, I'm going to decide to praise God anyhow. See, that's something we as Christians need to get a hold of. That's something we need to get a hold of. We need to just stop praising God when things are good. We need to start learning to praise God when things are hard. Oh, come on, somebody. We need to learn to praise God when times are tough. When everything's not going good, that's when we need to praise God the most. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand sometimes it's hard to praise God. Amen. Come on. Let's be honest. It's it's hard to praise God sometimes when you can't find a job and they're going to repossess your house. My God, it's hard to praise God sometimes. When you're sick in your body and you're not feeling well, sometimes it's hard to praise God. When, you're, when your children are out living in sin and, 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 and the enemy's got a grip on their lives, sometimes it's hard to praise God. Amen. When the enemy's trying to destroy your family and your marriage, sometimes it's hard to praise God. How many of you agree with that? But if we could just get a hold of that, be like Job and learn to praise God anyhow. Praise God through the thick and the thin. Amen. Praise God no matter what's going on in your life. If we could just get a hold of that, God would honor us. Because the Bible says God always honors those who honor him. And he will bless us like he did Job. Why? Because look in Job chapter 42 verse 10. Job chapter 42 verse 10. The Bible says that the, that the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Now why did he turn the captivity of Job? Because Job said I'm going to praise God anyhow. No matter what's going on, my li- on, on in my life. I'm going to praise God anyhow. Job 42 verse 10 he said. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job and restored his fortunes. Oh, I can't get no help in here. Amen. He said he restored, he restored, he restored his fortunes. 
Amen. That's, that means he gave him back everything that the enemy stole. He gave him back everything that belonged to him. He gave him back everything that he lost. That's restoration. Are you, are you following me? But what have we learned with restoration always comes what? Restitution. Because chapter 42, verse 10 didn't stop right there. See, he's, he's got his stuff back now. He's restored. He's, his restoration has been brought to Job. Amen. But restitution hasn't come yet. And with restoration always, always comes restitution. So the second part of verse 10, it says that when Job prayed for his friends, he said when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord blessed Job with twice as much as he had before. Oh, y'all didn't hear that. He said he blessed Job with twice as much as he had before. That's payment, man. That's restitution. You see that? He got double for his trouble. Look at your neighbor and say, Job got double for his trouble. Why? Because with restoration always, always, always comes restitution. When God restores something into your life, he's always going to make it better. He's not going to leave it the same. He's going to bring payment with it. He's going to bring restitution. Amen. Are you with me? How about the story of Zacchaeus? We all know that story. We all, we all learned that little jingle in Sunday school. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just aging myself. Y'all remember that little jingle? Zacchaeus was a little bitty man. Am I the only? A little bitty man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore. Okay, now I know I can't sing. All right. I should have had John come up and do that. But what I'm trying to say is we've all heard that story, right? Did you know that's a story of restoration and restitution? Watch this. The Bible says that Zacchaeus was a, was a tax collector. Now, uh, and he was, he was a wealthy man. See, a lot of people don't understand that he was a wealthy man. He had money. He was rich. So the Bible says that Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming through his town. So Zacchaeus, I mean, he'd heard all these things about Jesus. I'm sure he heard that, that some people were calling Jesus the Messiah. I'm sure he heard that Jesus was going from city to city, healing all those who were sick and, the, and oppressed of the enemy. I'm sure he heard those stories. So he, he was wondering, he, what's going on with this Jesus? Who is this Jesus guy? He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to meet Jesus. So the Bible says that he goes out into the streets, and because of his short stature, he couldn't see above the crowd. So what does he do? He climbs up in a tree. And what happens when Jesus walks by? Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I need to go to your house. I need to spend some time with you and your family. So Zacchaeus comes down. I mean, he's thrilled to death. He takes Jesus into his home. And to make a long story short, salvation came to Zacchaeus and his entire household. I said salvation came to Zacchaeus and his entire household. But now remember, we're talking about restoration and restitution. So watch this. Zacchaeus is so happy, so overwhelmed. He can't believe what just happened to him and his family. He looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, half of everything I have. Now listen, remember, he's a rich man. He's not poor. He said, Lord, half of everything I have, I give back. Oh, come on, somebody. He said, I give back. I give back. I give back to the poor. That's restoration. Do you see that? He gave it back to the poor. But it didn't stop there. Why? Because with restoration comes what? Restitution. Restitution. Because he goes on and then he says, Lord, and if I've stolen anything from anybody. Oh, come on, somebody. If I've stolen anything from anybody, I what? I repay them what? With four times as much. Y'all need to be shouting right about now. That's restitution, man. That's payment. You see that? Not only did he get things restored, but he brought restitution. Amen. Whenever we, golly. With restoration always comes restitution. Are you following me on this? Listen, you guys need to get a hold of this. Amen. Because God's got something for every one of us this morning. 
Look at your neighbor and say, you got something coming. No, really, look at your neighbor and tell them you've got something coming back. Amen. We all got stuff that we've had taken from us. We've all had stuff that we've lost, right? And we wish we could have it back. Well, only God can restore those things. Only God can restore the time. Only God can restore a relationship. Only God can restore. Oh, come on, somebody. Amen. We serve a God of restoration. Amen. Are you following me on this? Praise God. Now turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 8. Now I want you to turn there and see this because a lot of times I feel like when I'm just telling stories from the Bible and I'm not actually reading scripture from the Bible, you know, people tend not to believe you sometimes, but those stories are in the Bible, amen? Turn with me, 2 Kings chapter 8. I want you to see this. I want you to follow me. 2 Kings chapter 8. Glory to God. I don't know about you, but I can feel the presence of God this morning. And it's not just because I'm hot. Amen. I just I feel the presence of God this morning. Praise God. Second Kings chapter eight. We'll start at verse one. This is a story of a Shunammite woman. Actually, her story starts back in chapter four. I wish I had time to go back to chapter four. I just don't. But trust me, if you have time, go back to chapter four and read this woman's story and see the amazing things that God did in her life. But we're picking her story up in chapter eight. And I'll be reading now the NIV version on this scripture. So yours might read a little bit different. Second Kings chapter eight. We're going to read verses one through six. Verse one says, now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life. My God, there's that word restore. I just don't have time to go back. He said, go away with your family and stay a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. So Elisha knew this woman from back in chapter four. I mean, he dealt with her, so he's trying to help her. He said, hey, look, you need to take your family, get up and move somewhere else because the Lord has declared a famine in the land. There's not going to be any food to eat. People are going to die. If you want to live through this, you need to get up and go somewhere else. Amen. Are you following me? Verse 2 says, the woman proceeded to do what the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. So she packed up, she moved, she left everything behind. Verse 3. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to the king to appeal for her house and her land. See, she deserted everything. She left it all back. She left the land. She left her home. She left everything in it. But now she's back. It's been seven years. So now she's back. So she goes to the king and says, hey, I want my stuff back. How many of you want some stuff back in your life? I said, how many of you want some of your stuff that you lost or got stolen? How many of you want some of your stuff back? I don't know about you, but I want some stuff back. Amen. So she wants her stuff back. Verse four says the king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. And he said, tell me about all these great things Elisha has done. Verse five, just as Gehazi was telling king how Elijah had restored. There's that word again. The dead to life. The woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to appeal before the king for her house and her land. So, so as this man Gehazi is telling these stories about this woman, she walks into the room just as he's telling the story. That's not by chance. Do you think that's by chance? I don't think so. Verse 6 says, and the king asked the woman about it, and she told him. So he's asking this woman. So all these stories that Gehazi is telling me that God did through Elisha in your life, are all those things true? Did all these things really happen? Did he really restore your son? Did all these things really happen to you? And the woman said, yes, they did. Now watch what happens next. Watch what happens this. Then he, talking about the king, glory to God, assigned an official to her case and said to him, restore everything that belonged to her. 
Oh, I can't get no help in here. He said, restore any, everything that belonged to her. In other words, give her back everything that she lost. Give her back her land. Give her back her home. Give her back all her belongings. Give it back to her. Restore it to her. That's restoration. You see that? But with restoration comes what? Always, 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 when God restores something in your life, he's always going to make it better. He's going to bring payment. Hallelujah. He's going to bring restitution because with restoration always comes restitution. Watch this because it goes on and it says, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until my God. The, the, the New Living Translation says, including the value of any crops that have been harvested during her absence. Oh, I still can't get no help in here. Y'all, y'all aren't seeing this. Y'all aren't understanding this. You need to understand she got paid, man, for seven years of not being at home. She got paid for seven years of not having to work that land. She got paid for seven years of not having to plow that field. She got paid for seven years of not having to plant that seed. She got paid for seven years of not having to water and care for that seed. She got paid for seven years of not having to harvest that crop. She got paid for doing nothing. She got paid for seven years of doing nothing. She went on vacation for seven years, and the king decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to pay you for all those seven years that you were gone. I'm going to not only restore everything, I'm not only going to give you everything back, but I'm going to pay you for those seven years that you were on vacation. Come on, somebody. Y'all need to be shouting about right now. With restoration always comes restitution. Are you with me? Now, now turn with me to Mark. Now, Now, why does God restore those things to us? Because he loves us. He cares about us. Amen. He wants us to be blessed in every area of our life. Physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually. God loves us so much that he wants us blessed in every area of our lives. Amen. Amen. Turn with me now to Mark chapter 3. And it's about to get real in here. Look at your neighbor and say it's about to get real in here. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And I say it's about to get real because this is where... It spoke into my life. This is where, where, amen, God spoke these things into my life. It was dealing exactly what I was going through, dealing exactly to to what I was going through at the time. So this really speaks to me. Mark chapter 1, verse 3. What? Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, and I'll be reading out of the Amplified Version because I just love the way it reads in the Amplified Version. It says, he, talking about Jesus, entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there whose hand was withered. In other words, he had a hand that he couldn't use. It was withered. It was shriveled up. Now, that's important. He entered into the synagogue, and there was a man there whose hand was withered. They, talking about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were watching him, Jesus, to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might bring charges or accuse him. Verse 3, he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. That's important. He said, get up and come forward. And he said to them, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he says, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. Verse 5, looking around at them, angered and grieved at the hardening of their hearts, Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. That's important too. He said, Stretch out your hand. Amen. And then what happens out? When he stretched it out, what happened? Read your Bible. Come on. His hand was what? His hand was what? His hand was restored. It didn't say his hand was healed. It didn't say his hand was made whole. It said his hand was restored. And there's a reason it said that. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Remember, we're talking about restoration. And with restoration always comes what? Restitution. 
Now, as I read these scriptures, there was three things that jumped off the pages at me. And I've read these scriptures dozens upon dozens upon dozens of times. And I've heard people preach on this dozens upon dozens upon dozens of times. Amen. So I, I'm familiar with this scripture, but I had never seen it like this. God showed me three things. There was three things that jumped off the page at me. There was three things, amen, that, that, made, that made me ask myself a question. There was three things that made me ask myself, why did this happen? And I'm going to share those three things with you. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, get ready. First of all, the first thing that jumped off the page, the man in this story, the man with the withered hand, this man never asked or expected anything from Jesus. Why? He never asked or expected anything from Jesus. Why? He just happened to be in the synagogue that day. He was minding his own business, just a regular face in the crowd. He never asked or expected anything from Jesus. Why not? It's not like blind Bartimaeus in the book of Mark. Blind Bartimaeus, when he heard that Jesus was coming through town, he shouted, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped and asked him, well, what do you want from me? He said, I want my eyesight. I want to see again. So he asked Jesus for something. You see that? He asked. He verbally asked Jesus for something. But this man with the withered hand, he never asked Jesus anything. Why not? The woman with the issue of blood. My favorite story in the Bible. Amen. She expected something from Jesus. Right? She expected something from Jesus because the Bible is very clear. It says she kept saying to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. One translation says, if I could touch the hem of his garment, I will be restored, restored, restored. You see that? So she expected something. She expected her miracle. She expected to receive her healing. Right? But this man never expected anything. Why? Blind Bartimaeus asked Jesus for something. You see that? The woman with the issue of blood expected something from Jesus, right? But not this man. Why not? Why didn't he ask or expect anything from Jesus? Watch this. He never asked or expected anything from Jesus because he had learned to live with what he had lost. Oh, come on, somebody. He learned to live with what he had lost, his withered hand, and he felt unworthy. Oh, come on, somebody. He learned to live with what he had lost and he felt unworthy. Let me help you out a little bit this morning. A lot of times Christians miss this. See, a lot of times the Christians, Christians, we don't believe where we don't understand who we are in Christ. Listen, to receive anything from God, you have to know who you are in Christ. I said, you have to know who you are in Christ. You can't allow the enemy to come in and bring condemnation. You can't allow the enemy to come in and bring doubt. You can't allow the enemy to come in and tell you you're not good enough. You can't allow the enemy to come in and say you don't deserve your breakthrough. You can't allow the enemy to come say you're not worthy of a miracle. Come on, you are somebody. Amen. You're a child of God. If you want to receive anything from God, you need to understand who you are in Christ. I said you need to understand who you are in Christ. Amen. The Bible says that we are Abraham's seed. My God, that makes us heir to the promise. (laughs) That makes us heir to the promise, the kingdom of God. It makes us heirs to the kingdom of God. My God, do you know what it means to be an heir to the kingdom of God? Watch this. To be an heir means that you inherit. Listen to me. To be an heir means that you inherit the rights, privileges, and wealth of another. I can't get no help in here this morning. Come on, somebody. It means that you inherit the rights, privileges, and wealth of another. Who is the other in your life? Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ and everything this Bible says belongs to you is yours. 
Salvation is yours. Healing is yours. Deliverance is yours. Love is yours. Joy is yours. Peace is yours. Everything this Bible says is yours belongs to you. Why? Because we are children of the Most High God. Amen. Let's not allow the enemy to come in and steal our victory. Don't allow the enemy to come in and steal your breakthrough. Because the enemy's always going to want to bring doubt. The enemy's always going to tell you that you're not good enough. The enemy's always going to want to tell you that you don't deserve it. Amen. But you do deserve it. I said, you do deserve it. I deserve it. I mean, I said, I deserve it. Why? Because we're children of God, man. We need to understand who we are in Christ. If we want to receive anything from God, we can't allow the enemy to come in. Amen. And steal our promises. We can't allow the enemy to come in and tell us that we're not good enough and that we don't deserve it. Amen. Are you still with me? All right. Some of you are with me, but I'm going to get the rest of y'all on board here in just a minute. Number two. The second thing that made me ask myself why is where Jesus asked the man to get up and move forward. Why did Jesus ask this man to move forward? Ever think about it? Jesus told him to get up and move forward. Why did he ask him to move forward? Why? I just I didn't understand it at first. Why did Jesus say come forward or move forward? Watch this because Jesus realized that this man was stuck. Come on, somebody. See, Jesus realized that there was something in this man's past that was keeping him from receiving his breakthrough in the future. Oh, come on, somebody. Listen to me. Listen to me. We can't allow as Christians, we can't allow things in our past to control our future. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing in here. I said we can't allow things in our past. Listen to me. We can't allow things in our past to control our future. How many have been hurt in the past? Every one of you should raise your hand. We've all been hurt. We've all had something taken from us. We've all had something stolen from us. But we can't allow those things in our past to control our future. I said you can't allow things in the past to drag you down. You can't allow things in the past to keep you from serving God. You cannot allow things in your past to keep you from moving forward. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. said, can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Now I'm about to say something that some of you might not like. I'm about to say something that some of you might not like, but you need to hear this. Not only can we not allow things in our past to keep us from moving forward. Listen to this. You're either going to say amen or you're going to say ouch. (laughs) Not only can we not allow things in our past to control our future. We can't allow people in our past. Oh, come on, somebody. We cannot allow people in our past to control our future. We can't allow people in our past to control our destiny with God. We can allow people in our past to steal our bread. Come on, somebody. Man, we all have somebody in our lives, and you know it. You, you know it. I'm, I'm speaking to somebody right now. Amen. There's people in your past. Amen. There's people in your past right now. There's people in your life right now who are keeping you from receiving your miracle and your breakthrough. I know you don't want to hear that, but let me tell you something. If they're not building you up, then you're dragging you down. The Bible says, if you're not with me, then you're against me. You're you're, for pastor. Amen. You're against me. Listen to me. If that person is not encouraging you, that person's probably discouraging you. If that person's not supporting you, then they want you to fail. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm talking to somebody. We cannot allow things or people in our past to control our destiny. We cannot allow things or people in our past to control our future. Are you with me? Now, now, the easiest thing, the best thing I could come up with so you can understand how important this is, how we can't allow things or people in our past to control our future is this. 
And this is a true story. I'm not making this up. I promise you. How many know what an electronic dog collar is? Come on, raise your hand. If you know what an electronic dog collar is. All right, it's a little collar, right? It has electrodes around it. It comes with a remote control, right? It's for training purposes. It's for training purposes. It's an electronic dog collar. It comes with a remote control. When you push that remote control, the remote control sends a signal to that collar on your, on your pet. And it makes them look like they received the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, makes them look like they received the Holy Spirit. It shocks them, okay? So I had a neighbor... It's a true story. He, he, well, he used to live across the street from me. He's since moved on. I came home from work one day. True story. Y'all might not believe it, but this is a true story. I promise you. Came home from work one night, and my neighbor says, Louie, come here. Come check out my new dog. It's a beautiful little, like, like yellow lab. Good-looking dog, man. Good-looking dog. He said, yeah, I'm going to train him to be my new bird dog. He was a big hunter, and you know, he's training his dog. And I, all I could think about the whole time was this crazy little dog you know, he's really hyper. He's bouncing. He's jumping all. You know, just tongue hanging everywhere. And I thought, and he had that crazy look in his eye. You know, he had that wild-eyed look. You know, some people have that wild-eyed look, right? Yeah, I know. There's people out there with that wild-eyed look. But but this dog had this wild, crazy streak. I mean, I could tell. And I and I walked away, and I thought, man, he's gonna have a hard time training that dog. That just I wasn't prophesying that over, but I could just tell by the, looking at the dog, man, that dog is gonna be hard to train. So I came home one day. And well, let me back up. And, and sure enough, that was the case. This dog was crazy. He was always running wild in the street, chasing kids, chasing bikes, chasing cars. He was always up and down. It would drive my neighbor nuts. He hated that that dog would not obey. He hated that that dog would just not listen to him. They kept him in the backyard, but anytime they opened the back gate, that dog would take off. The kids opened the back gate, that dog would take off. He'd just run wild. Amen. Even the neighbor, when he had to cut the grass, he'd open it to go in the back and cut his grass. The dog would take off. That back gate being open meant freedom for this dog. That back gate being open meant this dog could run wild and do whatever he wanted to do. So now we move forward. A couple months later, I'm walking outside and I see my neighbor talking to another neighbor. And then lo and behold, I see that crazy little dog. He was standing or he was sitting next to my neighbor like this. Just stiff, he looked scared to death. He wasn't moving. I thought, man, that's weird. So I went over there and I asked my neighbor, I said, what's wrong with your dog? He sure is being good today. He looked at me with a big smile and he says, I took care of that Wall Street. I said, really, what'd you do? He reaches into his pocket, grabs a remote control, and he says, electronic dog collar. Electronic dog collar. And I thought, wow. I mean, I'd heard of him. I said, wow, does that really work? What he said next blew me away. See, what he, what he said next didn't make sense at first. What he said next just wouldn't compute. When I asked him, does that really work? He looked at me with a great big smile and he said, yes, it works. He says, do you know that I can leave the back gate open all night and that dog won't leave? He could leave that back gate open all night and now the dog won't leave. It didn't make sense because to me, every time I saw that dog in that back gate open, he was running wild. He was running free. He was doing whatever he wanted. That back gate being open meant freedom for this dog. Now my neighbor's telling me that, that that dog won't leave. He said, I can leave the back gate open all night and this dog won't leave. And I started thinking, man, that's, it don't make sense. But then I realized something. I realized that this dog had been hurt so much in his past. Oh, I can't get no help over here. Let me try this. I realized that this dog had been hurt so much in his past that his past was now imposing its will on his future. 
Oh, y'all ain't saying much right now. See, that dog had been shocked so many times in his past. He'd been hurt so many times in the past. When he got that collar on him, it changed his life forever. Now he couldn't run wild. Now he couldn't run free. Now that back gate being open didn't mean freedom anymore. It meant pain. He had been hurt so much in his past that his past was imposing its will on his future. Come on, somebody. We cannot allow people or things in our past to impose their will on our future. Oh, come on. I said we can't allow things or people in our past to impose its will on our future. Are you with me? Now, remember, what are we talking about? Restoration. Now, with restoration comes what? Restitution. I mean, anytime God restores something into your life, he's always going to make it better. He's always going to bring payment. He's always going to bring restitution. To receive anything from God, we learn that what? We need to know who we are in Christ. Amen. We know we need to know who we are in Christ. We can't allow the enemy to come in. Amen. And tell us that we're not good enough, that we don't deserve it. Amen. That we're unworthy. We are. We are children of God. We understand. We need to understand who we are in Christ in order to receive our miracles and our breakthroughs. We need to understand what it means to be a Christian. Amen. Second of all, we can't allow things or people in our past to control our future. We can't allow things or people in our past to impose their will on our future. Now, we've all been hurt in the past. We've all lost some things in the past. We've all had things stolen in the past. Listen to me. We've got to learn to let that stuff go. Come on, somebody. We've got to learn to let that stuff go. If you don't let that stuff go, it's going to weigh you down. If you don't let that stuff go, it's going to drag you down. It's going to keep you from moving forward. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.13, what did he say? He said, forgetting those things that are what? Forgetting those things that are what? I press forward. See, Paul understood in order for him to move forward, he had to forget about the things in the past. In order for him to move forward or press forward, he needed to forget about those things in the past. He had to let some things go. I'm here to tell you this morning that some of us need to let some things go in our past in order to receive our miracle. Are you with me? Now, finally, and the worship team can come up here. The last thing, the third thing I want to share with you. Is this okay? Are you guys with me still? The third thing that made me ask myself a question, amen, was where Jesus asked the man to stretch out his hand. He asked him to stretch out his hand. Now, I looked in every translation I could. No translation ever said which hand to stick out. He just said, stick out your hand. And that made me start thinking, you know what? Nine out of ten of us would have stuck out our good hand. Nine out of ten of us would have probably stuck out our good hand. Why? Because we'd be ashamed of our past. Oh, come on, somebody. See, we'd stuck out our good hand because we'd be ashamed of our past. Listen to me. Listen to me. We can't be ashamed of our past. Amen. But we need to start letting go of things. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm talking Amen. to somebody this morning. Listen, church, church was never meant to be a place where we come and show off our good stuff. I said church was never meant to be a place where you come and show off our good stuff. Amen. Ha. Let me just say this. I know sometimes it's hard to come to church, right? Come on. Sometimes it's hard. Come on. I'm the associate pastor. I don't want to be here all the time. It's hard to come to church sometimes. Come on, somebody. Am I the only one about Sunday morning and sleep? I could have a horrible week of sleep, but Sunday morning I'm sleeping like a baby. I don't know what it is about Sunday morning and sleep. I do not want to get up Sunday morning. It's hard to come to church sometimes. Come on, let's be honest here. Sometimes it's hard to come to church, isn't it? It's hard to come to church, especially if you're sick in your body. You don't want to get up early and come to church. 
Amen. Maybe you had a rough week trying to find a job and you can't find one. Yeah, I don't want to always come to church. It's okay. Maybe, you know, maybe the enemy's attacking your family or attacking your marriage. I know sometimes it's hard to come to church. I understand that. But you know what? God understands that too. Amen. The thing is, we can't be fake about it. We got to be real about it. Amen. Because what happens, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just sharing this from experience, but I'm sure some of you have, have dealt with this. We, we always try to put on our best face at church, right? Even though we don't want to be here. Oh, come on. We've all done it. It's okay. It's okay, Pastor. We've all done it. A lot of times we don't want to be here. Okay, we've all done it. But we always fake it, right? We, we put on our best clothes, our best shoes, and we put on our fake smile. And then we start thinking about what we're going to say to the greeters at the door. You know, because the greeters are always going to say, how you doing this morning, brother? You know, we just, we got to have all our cliches right. We start thinking about it because, you I mean, what are they going to say? What are you going to say? What's going to be your response when they ask you, how you doing this morning, brother? What do we say? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Even though all hell's breaking loose in your life. How you doing this morning, brother? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, even though you're sick and diseased in your body. How you doing this morning, brother? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, even though the enemy's attacking my children and trying to destroy my marriage. How you doing this morning, brother? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. We've all done it. We have all done it. But it's okay. God understands. My goodness. God understands where we're at. Church was always meant to be a place where you could come just as you are. Church was meant to be a place where you could come and hold up your withered hand, hold up your past, hold up your pain and say, hey, look, everything is not okay. Hey, I'm going through some stuff. Hey, I need some help. Hey, I need someone to pray with me. Hey, I need someone to talk to. But that doesn't mean I don't love Jesus. Listen, just because you're going through some stuff doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. I'm venture to say that there's people going through stuff right here, right now. But that doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. Jesus knows that and he understands that. He cares about us so much. He just wants us to come to church. I just want to encourage you this morning. No matter what's going on in your life, don't stop coming to church. Don't stop the gathering of the saints. That's what the Bible says. We need to gather, man. There's just something about gathering up with other like-minded people that builds you up. I read this uh, from a pastor and it blew me away. He said, church should be a hospital for the sick and the sinner, not a museum for the saints. I'm going to say that again. He said, church should be a hospital for the sick and the sinner, not a museum for the saints. Why should church be like a hospital? What do people do when they go to the hospital? People go to the hospital because they're sick. People go to the hospital because they're hurting. People go to the hospital because they they need answers. People go to the, 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 the hospital because they need help. That's what church should be. We should create a place where people could come when they're sick and be healed. We should create a place where people could come when they're hurting and be restored. We should create a place where people could come when they need help and get blessed. We should create a church where people would come when they're looking for answers and they get delivered and they get their answers. That's what church should be.